so you're going to have to kind of hang on to that. Okay, what in the world is that wipeout all about? What's the reason behind that? Well, hang in there, okay? And we'll uh, talk about what this whole wipeout business is, all right? Well, we're in a series on Romans, and, uh, and I shared with you that the primary emphasis of Romans, at least the first half part of Romans here, the first few chapters, uh, it's a book about salvation. And uh, God is very concerned. He wants all of us to spend eternity with Him. So He talks about salvation. And uh, we desperately need a Savior. That is a given. We desperately need uh, a Savior. And, and in those chapters, first three chapters for sure, God goes into detail how desperately we need a Savior. He, he lists it out. He lays it all out there for us why we need a Savior, okay? Well, Paul began, first of all here, the writer of Romans, he began by talking about three groups of people that uh, need God, and these groups of people are kind of like general categories, because no doubt one of, one of these categories will apply to us. Now, the first group of people, or this category, were the ones that were called the naturalists, and if you go to chapter, num- chapter 1, you'll see that uh, God said in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, he said these words, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. So when we look around us and we see this creation, this wonderful world, uh, it should point us to God. And of course, the trouble is, some people, when they look at nature, they kind of fall in love with nature and kind of get sidetracked in their relationship with God. So there's the naturalists. A second group of people that we looked at uh, was in chapter 1 and carried over into chapter 2 were the moralists. Remember we talked about the moralists? They are the rule followers. That's the moralists. They are rule followers. They are trusting in their good behavior to find acceptance in God's eyes. That's the moral person. Trusting in their good behavior, the rules that they follow, hoping that they will gain favor with God. And, of course, we know that that's not the case. That's not going to happen. And then last week we talked about a third group, and that third group were the Jews. They reasoned that since they are God's chosen race, that distinction will earn them a place in heaven. Okay, so by birth they were Jewish, and they thought, well, since I'm a Jew, I must be a shoe-in when it comes to God's heaven. But again, Paul goes on to explain that even though you are uh, Jewish by, you know, blood, that doesn't cut it when it comes to salvation. So Paul makes it very clear that our condition is that of sin. We are sinners, okay? doesn't matter if you're a moralist or a Jewish uh, by descent or uh, a naturalist. Uh, none of those things cut it when it comes to salvation. And most of people do trust in one of those forms to get them in heaven. Well, as we come to chapter 3, there's one final objection that is given, and this objection comes in questions. But before we can get to those, that final objection, meaning, you know, they're still, still trying to alleviate their guilt. They, we're all not innocent. We're not innocent. We're all sinners. We all have bacteria, okay? And therefore, uh, we are sinners. But... Uh, the Jews, they try to dodge this bullet of, you know, not being in heaven. And so they make one last effort here with some objections. But before we get to those objections, let's look at our passage together. We're in Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. So I invite you to follow along, and I will read that passage of Scripture for us. So we're looking at 20 verses this morning, a good chunk. 
of God's word. But here uh, we begin with some objections, and then we're going to see, then then we move in to not only objections, but uh, then to what God really thinks, why we need a Savior. So here we are, verse 1 of chapter 3. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? And these are the guys, the Jewish people, they're asking these questions. Okay, if, even if my descent, my bloodline doesn't get me into heaven, then he says, what advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? And that's, of course, one of their r- religious rituals, thinking if you do the right religious ritual, like circumcision, or some people believe in baptism, or going through confirmation, or, you know, uh, the Lord's Supper. If you do this ritual, surely that'll make you right before, before God. But Paul is saying, hey, it doesn't. Uh, but he says, you know, there is advantages in being Jew, much in every way there in verse 2. First of all, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some did not have faith, they ask? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Paul says, well, not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our righteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I'm using a human argument here. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say... As we are being slanderously reported as saying, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their their condemnation is deserved. Well, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And we could say, Paul, tell us what you really think about mankind, right? Now we know, verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So here as we come to chapter 3, Paul has made it very clear just because by bloodline, just because you are Jewish, that is not an automatic uh, shoe-in into heaven, okay? So bloodline has nothing to do with your salvation. Well, the Jews then say, well, okay, if our bloodline is no good, um, the fact that I was born a Jew, one of God's chosen people, if that doesn't cut it, that means nothing, then... uh, then basically, how do we get to heaven, basically, is what they're saying. Well, they have some questions, and they want to ask these questions. These questions are kind of objections. 
Uh, they want them addressed. And here's question one that they ask, which is an objection. Uh, the, the, they ask this question, what good is it then in being a Jew? If Jews are sinners in need of a Savior, what benefit is there in being a Jew, they're asking. And then Paul goes on to say, well, there is great benefit in being a Jew uh, because the Jews are God's representatives to the world. God chose the Jewish nation to communicate his plan of salvation. Jews have the responsibility and privilege of introducing the Messiah to the world. So they're saying, well, what benefit is it than being a Jew? Well, then Paul says, well, there is a lot of benefit. I mean, first of all, you guys receive the word of God, first of all. And it's through the Jewish nation that the Messiah comes into the world. And uh, so you play a significant role in God's plan of salvation. So he addresses that objection. So they have another question, which is an objection. They say, they're asking this question, does sin cancel out my salvation? That's their question, too. Does sin cancel out my salvation? That's from verse 3 there. What if some did not have faith? Will, they, will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? In other words, to paraphrase verse 3, if being a Jew and I mess up, does that mean I am doomed? Well, here's the good news. God remains faithful to his promises. All right? So just because... An individual messes up, that does not cancel out God's promises. And one of his promises is this. All those who will come to faith accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He says, I will not turn away. They will become part of my family, and nothing will change that. But oftentimes we think, well, man, I've committed some deed. I've committed some sin that's going to cancel out my salvation. Well, our salvation is not based on us individually what we have done our salvation is rooted and based on what jesus christ has done and that does not change that does not change so will sin cancel nullify my salvation and the answer is no it will not because salvation is strictly based on what jesus christ has done question three why not sin so that god's grace will increase that's coming from verse seven if false falsehood enhances god's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Now it is true, God is in charge. His purposes will prevail. And God is able to use our shortcomings to bring himself glory and to accomplish good. Now from a worldly perspective, since that is true, you know, it may seem uh, sensible, may seem logical to throw caution to the wind and, uh, and sin, because God's going to make good out of it, right? That's their reasoning. That's what they're saying. I mean, if, why not sin? Because if, I'm, if I sin, well, then God kicks in. He, he demonstrates his love and his grace, and things work out. So why not sin so that his glory is revealed? Well, uh, that may be a, a man way of thinking, but then Paul says, okay, you can think that way. And you can think that your sin is not going to really uh, mess up God, which is true. It's not going to mess him up. But we need to remember this. God is also a just God. Okay, he's a just God. So we will have to give an account for the things that we have done here while we live on this planet. Uh, we do not get a free pass. Nothing. It, our, our evilness, our sin... 
Uh, remember, we all have the bacteria. You know, we're all going to have to give an account. Okay. Now, if you're an unbeliever, meaning you have not personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus, okay, if that is describing you, okay, you're going to be judged, and you're going to be judged whether or not you're going to be in heaven. And, of course, the answer is going to be you're not going to be in heaven. Okay, that's what the judgment comes to. Now, for the believer, those who do place their faith and trust in Jesus, you too will be judged. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. What are we being judged for as a believer and follower of Jesus? Well, our good deeds, the things that we have done while we are serving him on this earth, they will be weighed. They will be judged. And uh, the stuff that is good, they say the gold and the silver, you know, those precious things that we have done, you know, those will be rewarded. But the other stuff that we've done, that wood, hay, and stubble, the crappy stuff that we've done, you know, the sinful things, okay, that, that will be judged. So we're all going to face judgment. So we need to understand, you know, we do want to pursue godliness. We do want to live a righteous life because we will be held accountable for what we have done. Because God is a just God. And he cannot let sin go undealt with, all right? So that was the objections there. That's what the Jewish people brought. They brought a few questions. They were kind of uh, trying to maybe trip up Paul here, trying to uh, maybe, maybe make themselves look better um, and so forth. But uh, they didn't do a very good job. And so then we move on here in chapter 3 to verse 9, and we have uh, uh, God bringing his indictment, okay? Paul talks about, well, here's what's really going to happen to people's lives. And so looking at letter A there in your outline, uh, this is uh, the, the indictment, God's indictment. So if you look at letter A there, we have our general indictment, and that's based on verse 9, verse 9. God's general indictment. So look at verse 9, and here's what it says. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. So to paraphrase verse 9 there, it is this. It doesn't matter who you are, okay? Whether you're Jewish or whether you are a Gentile, uh, whether you're a naturalist, whether you're a moralist, uh, it doesn't matter. Paul says each one of us has the bacteria, okay? We all have the bacteria. Therefore, we are sinners, and because of sin, we will die unless unless somebody steps in and intervenes, okay? So that's the general indictment. All of us are guilty. All of us have the bacteria. Letter B, God's specific indictment. So he moves from the general here in verse 9, and then when we come into verses 10 through 18, uh, Paul gets specific. Here's what, here's, the, uh, here's what man really looks like, all right? And, of course, we went through that. There's no one who is righteous. There's no one who understands God. We see that in those verses. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are quick to shed innocent blood. You know, misery is, marks their ways. I mean, it's not a good picture. So God gets real specific here in verses 10 through 18. What I want to bring to your attention and, want to, and uh, discuss a little bit with you or share with you a little bit here is that uh, in Romans chapter 3 here, verses you know, 10 through 18, uh, there is a theological term that they use to describe the, what's being communicated in these verses. All right, And you probably have heard this before. Maybe you've read a little bit about it. Maybe it's new to you. If so, that'd be 
fun, fun to share something new with you. But what we have in verses 10 through 18 is a theological understanding, and they have a term for it, and it's called total depravity. Okay, does that uh, ring a bell a little bit? Have you heard of that a little bit? So anyhow, that's this whole idea, this theological concept is called total depravity, and that terminology is used to describe our condition uh, before God. We are totally depraved, all right? Now let me just share some more thoughts about that. So here in these verses, we're talking about total depravity. What does that exactly mean? Well, the total depravity describes the extent of man's sinful nature, okay? Uh, we, we need help. We do. Spiritually wise, we need help. Now, total depravity does not mean that man is as bad as he can get. Okay, now I want you to follow with me on this. And when we say somebody is totally depraved, and we're talking about total depravity, we're not saying that individual is totally beyond help. I mean, they're just totally shot. They're totally no good. We're not saying that, okay? Because if you really do look at the lives of mankind... Uh, we do have a conscience, right? So we do know good from wrong, okay? So we're not totally shot, okay? Uh, there, if you look at people's lives, there are people who are doing wonderful things for one another, okay? Doing some great things. So they're not totally evil, okay? So so we're not saying that man is totally gone, you know, and, and, and lost, what we're seeing here, total depravity, is that uh, every, every uh, nuance, every facet of our being, who we are, is tainted by sin, okay? Each of us has bacteria, okay? We all have it. And uh, that is our condition. And because we have that bacteria, because we are sinners... That affects, that, that affects everything. So that's where we get this whole idea of being total, okay? Total. It, total meaning that it touches all facets of our life. That's why it's total. It's complete in that sense. Okay, are you with me now? Depravity. I'm not, we're not saying man is, is so bad, you know, they've bottomed out. No, we're not saying that. But we are saying that the bacteria, sin, has touched everything in our lives so in that way it's total and complete okay so uh total this total depravity is even uh, kind of listed out or i should say explained illustrated for us even more so so look with me at some verses would you for example look at verses 10 11 and 12 in romans 3 there and uh, if you look at 10 here's what it says there is no one righteous not even one there is no one who understands okay you see the verse there here in verse 10 we're seeing that the bacteria okay our sin has tainted man's mind see that there it has affected man's mind they don't you know do the righteous thing they 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 don't they don't they don't understand the things of god and the reason they don't understand the things of God is because, because the bacteria, the sin, has touched their lives. Okay, uh, Looking at verse 11, it says, 
No one seeks God there in verse 11. Here we see that man's heart is affected by sin. So you see that the completeness, the totality of our depravity touches our mind, touches our heart. Um, look at, uh, and then in verse 12, it says, There is no one who does good, not even one. Here we see man's will being affected by sin. So verses 10, 11, and 12 shows that all aspects of our being, all aspects, total, okay, has been affected by the bacteria, which is our sin. And therefore, we are totally depraved, okay? And here's where our beginning song comes in. We're wiped out, okay? We are totally wiped out. Bacteria has touched all facets of our being, okay? Does that mean we're as worse as we can, we're going to get? We're at the bottom already? Well, no. We do have a conscience. We can choose between right and wrong. We do good things for, for God as well as one another. But when it comes spiritually, and especially when it regarding salvation, we can't do it. We're totally wiped out when it comes to the spiritual, when especially regarding salvation. We're totally wiped out. The bacteria has doomed us. We're going to die unless there is a cure for the bacteria. And the good news is there's a cure, cure for the bacteria. And that is Jesus Christ going to the cross, dying on the cross to take care of the bacteria. Remember, Scripture says that the wages of sin, the wages of our bacteria is death. We're going to die. But God didn't want that to happen, so he sent his one and only son, put him on the cross, and he took upon us, or excuse me, took upon himself all our sin, all our bacteria, and he died in our place. He was taken off the cross, of course, placed in the grave, and then on the third day, what happened? He came back to life, the resurrection, which tells us, which is also a guarantee, it tells us, one, Jesus' sacrifice is acceptable in God's eyes because he came back to life. And number two, we can experience life eternal because he who once had died is now living eternally. And so there's a guarantee that we too will live with him. So there is a fix for the bacteria. And lastly here, letter C is God's verdict. If you're filling in, the, I'm not sure if I left that blank, but uh, for those of you who want to fill in the blank, God's verdict, uh, there is no one who will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So in other words, there's nothing we can do. We can't be good enough. We can't obey rules and regulations enough to be acceptable in God's eyes. The reason we are acceptable is because of Jesus Christ, our faith and trust in what he has done. Then we're acceptable. Okay, and then we're acceptable. So that brings us to the end. So what are we to do with this message? Well, once number one lesson is this. We need to be reminded we're bacteria carriers, okay? We are bacteria carriers. And if our bacteria is not dealt with, if the antibiotic is not administered, we're going to die, okay? Because of your bacteria, you're going to die if the antibiotic's not administered. Well, the back, excuse me, the, the antidote um, has been administered. 
and that is Jesus Christ. Now, for that antidote to work, okay, to uh, that medicine to work in your life, you need to accept Jesus Christ. You need to make that decision and say, I am placing my faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done. Have you done that? If not, you are infected and the bacteria is going to kill you. But we won't want to end there. Remember, the cure, the antibiotic has been administered and it's Jesus Christ. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? If not, please talk to me. If you have, you're cured. The bacteria won't kill you. Let's pray. Lord, thanks again for the uh, reminder that uh, we are uh, totally depraved. And Lord, we understand that doesn't mean we're so bad that there's no hope, but uh, we do understand that that sin nature of ours, that bacteria, touches all aspects of our life. Our thinking touches our emotions, uh, even touches our will, whether we're going to be obedient or not. We know it touches uh, the things in, in our actions. Uh, so, Lord, we know that uh, that bacteria, that sinful stuff just touches everything. It's total. It's complete. But, Lord, we rejoice that uh, that bacteria is not going to win. It's not going to kill us. And the reason we say that because of what you, Jesus, have done for each of us. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for the gift of salvation. You say those who will just ask, we'll be saved. And we thank you for that promise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.